content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. Yes. And optimize matters too, right? Yeah. So does Ed Thompson. It's really great listening to him and, you know, talking about his book called The Hidden Force, which I think it would be really interesting to read, even though I, well, I, I don't know. I probably am considered neurodivergent with some of the stuff I've got going on, but um, I think it would be really cool for people who are in looking to you know, understand more about neurodiversity, but also understanding more about diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI departments in companies. There's been a huge push um, for, you know, research and development in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he was talking about how companies are devoting, you know, millions of dollars to their research and development budgets, which is really cool for the future of employment for people who think and learn differently. Yeah. I mean, we're we're going to be getting more of those people into the workforce and they've got amazing solutions if they are given the opportunity. So it's exciting to think they're not going to be sitting on the couch waiting for someone to notice that they can do some really cool stuff. No kidding. All right, you guys have a listen. We'll catch you on the other side. I would love for you to tell our listeners a little more about your book. Yeah. So it's again, it was inspired by seeing the reaction to to this topic amongst the organizations we we work uh, within. Uh, It is a business book. Ultimately, it is designed for organizations and and, folks who work uh, within them. And really, it's looking to answer, I hope, in engaging terms. What is neurodiversity? I think the fascinating question of why are we talking about this now? And so we do have some background here on, look, if humans have always thought differently, why is it, take, why is it taken us to the 21st century to, to start acknowledging that? And, and where have some of these labels, we've mentioned them today, autistic, dyslexic, and so on, where have they come from? What are the positives of some of those labels? But what have been some of the drawbacks of the medical profession leading the charge around you know, some of this labeling? Then get into... What have organizations you know, been doing about it? And what can you do regardless of your role, regardless of the nature of your organization or team to start being more neuroinclusive and finish up with a little look at the future of work? I think there's some, some interesting dynamics here around the changing expectations of employees. I think people are becoming more valued and also sort of the power dynamic, I think, is, is switching a little bit to people over the employer. Uh, employees have different expectations of the, the ethics, I think, of organizations that, that they work in. So a bunch of considerations here. But also the lifespan of companies is plummeting with technological change. So I like to think of it, and I think I have a metaphor of, uh, you know, Big organizations in the in the in the 20th century being like big oil tankers, you know, we know we're going in the right direction, nothing's going to sink us. Now that's really not the case. And and the lifespan of organizations is down to about 15 years and it's it's continuing to fall. So when you see CEOs in their annual report saying we need to innovate, we need to innovate, you look at where they're spending their money, you see they've put four and a half billion dollars into RD, you know, 
this isn't just to please the shareholders. This is, no, 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 we need to innovate or we're going under. And to me, innovation, where does it ultimately come from? I think it ultimately comes from groups of people coming together, diversity of thought. What are they bringing? Their brains. We know neurodivergent people are incredibly creative oftentimes. If we exclude some of those minds, I don't think we're going to maximize our innovative uh, capacity as well. So it's just some thoughts for for the future of work, kind of to to, to round the book off at the end. Well, I, you know, we do work with students who are, are individuals with more significant disabilities, but who have amazing ability to work and actually would be very dedicated workers. And what I really wish we could do is be able to train people to understand when they're interviewing that they might need to ask the questions a little differently because I mean I have friends whose children are trying to get summer jobs who would be very capable but their interviewing skills are not that great and those folks are missing out on a great worker because they are just look not able to look past you know the lack of eye contact or you know some of the way that individual interacts. I really wish we had a training program for um, people to understand, don't miss out. Don't miss out on a great employee just because they didn't do a great job for your short little interview. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it just makes me think it would be nice to um, look at some of the departments within the government that help employ individuals with disabilities and say, let's get a training program going and let's help people understand what they might be missing. I mean, I think, you know, some of what you're talking about is that idea of you've got some amazing creative people within your company already and don't miss out on their creative pieces. But it really is, it does still come back to that same idea of don't don't miss out on the hidden force that is that is there. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think what, what we talk about is, let's let's acknowledge that as an organization we're already neurodiverse by definition that that's what neurodiverse means neuro technically you know it's like saying an individual person is racially diverse it's really it's a group that's neurodiverse and, and, and we are neurodiverse by definition but of course there's levels to that in uh, to an extent and if we've been recruiting in a way that might exclude people who are neurodivergent we might well find ourselves less neurodiverse as a whole than we could be and so i think you have those dual priorities on the one hand how do we make this uh, a place where people who could uh, can thrive you know whatever their brain wiring but also let's look at how we do hire and make sure that we're generally open to again 100% and not just the 80%. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so that brings me to a question because we know a lot of people who are in edu- who are in school and who are getting ready to be in the post secondary world and we have, you know, one of the a person that I care about very dearly, his name is Debarsi, and he listens. And so, hi, Debarsi. And um, I think about him a lot because he's in his 20s. He has a degree in computer science from University of Texas in Austin. Brilliant, uh, compassionate, empathetic, amazing. And if you, you know, if 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 you had three to five just top tidbits of advice, what would you recommend for someone who? 
is in these post-secondary environments and, and in order to meet, you know, meet their goals or follow their dreams? Do you have any like highlighted tips? Well, I, I, I'm very unqualified, I think, to answer that question in a way, um, because uh, I, I haven't been in that position. I, you know, back to what we discussed about my traumatic brain injury, you know, in, in, in my personal case, I don't really identify as, as neurodivergent within that, although some people would identify me in that way. I do think it's given me, a, you know, a particular empathy into some aspects of neurodivergence as experienced by others, for example, in um, things like working memory, processing speeds in sensory sensitivity and so on. But but I haven't been a you know, I haven't been somebody who identifies as, as neurodivergent and, and necessarily, you know, faces some of the barriers that neurodivergent people can face. So so to some extent I feel uh, un- unqualified to to answer the question. But what, what I would say is that, and I hopefully this is a, a note of optimism, that I do think there are more and more organizations and employers that are are welcoming neurodivergent talent so i would just say to somebody uh you know at the beginning of their career and then and then beyond don't be afraid to talk about neurodiversity and to express an expectation that your employer takes this seriously and more and more employers are and honestly if your employer says we don't care about that then it just based on my own friendship network, I, I suspect that's probably not the best place to work. I have a friend at Salesforce who, who famously said he'd never work somewhere again that wasn't taking the sorts of steps towards neuroinclusion that Salesforce is taking. And so I think there is change happening in this field coming from neurodivergent people themselves saying, look, I'm telling you about me. These are my strengths. These are my challenges. I would like a workplace and, and, and to be part of a workforce that understands and accepts me. And I appreciate that that journey can run into concrete ceilings. You may talk to an HR person or a manager or recruiter who says, I don't care about that. And I, I appreciate that that's an unpleasant situation. But I can say that there are neurodivergent people in the workforce today at, I believe, an unprecedented number who are seeing those conversations go in a far better direction. I love that. And I love that idea of just being very open and saying, you know, here, because we know they have lots of strengths, the people that I'm thinking of. And of course, everybody has weaknesses, you know, and, and just being forthright and honest about that. And hopefully hopefully elicit a new conversation, you know, either with the person interviewing them or with the management team or things like that. So I love that advice. That's great advice. Thank you. I get that it's, I mean, I I don't think you can ever say to people, you can never advise people to disclose because it's just such a personal decision. And I have, I have a friend who's in his twenties and he says, I'll never disclose until I'm, I'm in and I'm comfortable and I and I feel like you know I'm not going to get punished for it, and and that's his pragmatic approach to navigate the workforce, and, and and he's he's acknowledging that you know the work the the um, working world at the at the moment in the US is 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 where it is, and so I, I think it's very difficult ever to advise people one way or the other. All all I would say is if you want to go down the path yeah. of 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 sharing your 
diagnosis and not just you know your strengths and, and, and challenges um then i'm i'm hopeful that you'll get a, a better reaction uh, yeah, than yeah. you know you might have done say five ten years ago but of course sadly that's not something we can guarantee i hope we can create a yeah. world over the coming years where that really is something that we can guarantee but i think we're very much along that journey yeah yeah and i i, I didn't mean for you to sound like you were advising that i just i i do just know that it's a good thing to help people not be afraid to to do that. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I feel, I mean, having, I, I actually, in the work I did in London, interviewed a lot of young people for entry-level jobs. And I found that people who could self-advocate, period, like never mind mentioning a particular diagnosis, but people at that age, especially, who could explain to the employer what they felt their strengths were what they felt their growth areas were really explain why they'd chosen this path mm-hmm. I think that's just a, a, a great strength and so I, I don't think we also have to see it as kind of you know self-advocacy being kind of either I'm going to disclose or, or, yeah, or I'm yeah. not I think if you want to add the disclosure there for some color you can sure but I, I very much felt I think when 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 employers are going off a, a limited resume just that skill of being able to articulate you know I know I'm really good at this yes. and and that you might just be able to talk about your 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 strengths or or some of your growth areas independent of of, of your neuroidentity right. but I think that's that's also going to prompt good conversations I don't think people should be scared of that I love right and, and and then even if you're going to talk about your areas of growth or your weak areas what you're doing to um, kind of help yourself in that area, you know, even if it was something as simple as, you know, small talk with my fellow employees is, is a little bit difficult for me. And so here are the things that I'm doing to help myself with that. You, you know, your, your employer is probably not going to care about the fact that you can't have small talk. They probably want you working instead of small talking. But, um, you know, it. I'm, I was just using that as an example, just to think about. And so, here's what I'm doing to help myself with that. You know? And maybe, and maybe what you know, here's something I would that, that that would help me. And again, I think you can have these conversations, and, and you can you can judge as and when disclosure might be necessary, because of course, disclosure does trigger some legal obligations on the part of the employer to to look at accommodations and so on. But but even if you just can talk to a preference of of, of where you work or, or, or when you work, I think again, regardless of neuro identity, especially the, the way that the workforce is going, and I think people are post COVID, hopefully more appreciative that people can have all sorts of different working realities and and, and preferences. And I would, again, regardless of disclosure, I would try to get a gauge of how flexible an organization is likely to be. And my approach to interviewing is always, or rather to being interviewed, is always to try and take as much of the kind of power dynamic as possible back. And I like really making sure that this is an organization I'd like to work for. And I think challenging the organization to some extent on things like flexibility and on things like diversity and so on uh, again which you can do without disclosing is going to give you a gauge of is this somewhere that maybe if i did get hired i might feel comfortable yeah. 
disclosing and, and, and really being myself. And I think if you don't see that stuff in, in the hiring process and you see a, a really poor candidate experience, yeah. you see a sort of, you know, cattle or kind of sheep conveyor belt yeah. uh, approach, it's probably not going to be much different when you're in. And I think you have to question, is it, you know, is it worth getting this job? And, uh, and then, you know, fighting within that sort of, within that sort of straitjacket, I, I would argue that's not much fun for anybody, however they think. Yes. I think what we found with our focus groups is that neurodivergent people, it's often just a case of some of those preferences being more important. I, I don't think there's any neurotypical so-called in the world that doesn't appreciate a conversation with their manager or team in terms of how they like to work, how they like to problem solve, how they like to communicate. Everyone's different. And that's going to optimize their work. I think the difference is the so-called neurotypical can get by when those preferences aren't really yes. acknowledged. Whereas in, in my experience, the neurodivergent person might say, well, actually, I, I need that. You know, if I, my manager doesn't let me organize the work in the way that I like to, I'm, 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 that's really difficult for me. Yeah. 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 And I, and you make such a good point because it's that pervasiveness. It's the, it's the qualitative impact that it has on your entire life. You, I can, you know, well, for example, yesterday, Sissy was listening to something at the airport on her phone and I was sitting right next to her and I, I just looked at her and I said, do you have any AirPods, you know? And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that that bothered you. I didn't know it was that loud or whatever. Whereas people who, you know, had more significant differences, they might like look at her and go, what are you doing? And walk away or, you know, where are you know, AirPods or, you know what I'm saying? Like it's that qualitative impact that um, really affects our kids. I think our, our, friends and colleagues abilities to be employed because of that you know atypical response you know right right anyway Susie and I are just so thrilled to have you I, I've got so many notes and I can't wait to buy your book because I I cannot wait to help you know when we have the opportunity to talk with administrators or people or even general ed teachers I definitely I know Sissy does too want to use some of those Mm -hmm. information from your book so thank you and um is there anything else you'd like to say or share no, it's great to great to be here and, and, and thank you for for having me and I, and I hope this is interesting to, to everybody oh, yeah. regardless of their world whether their world is education or their world is the workplace and so on we've just as Optimize had to be quite focused, not just on training and education, but but also within the business world. It's just where yeah. we know and it's where we've had traction. And, and as a small company, you have to focus yeah. and, and grow as you can. But we've done some interesting work with a, a police force. We're starting yeah. to look at work in hospitality. I have an interest in things like the military, sports, uh, and so on. And, and and really, again, neurodiversity is just such a fundamental human reality. It's so belated that we're appreciating this as humans, that really, whatever your role, whatever your job, this is something that you can start considering. One of the things that we use and kind of how we break this down when we when we train it, one of the things we talk about is the opportunity 
to be neuroinclusive. And that's often what's missed. Often people want to be inclusive of their colleagues or of their students. And often people have a basic idea of how to do that. I think the interesting thing with neurodiversity is this opportunity to be neuroinclusive is all the time. It's every meeting, it's every call, it's every interview. And a lot of the time we're missing that. We're just missing all of these opportunities to practice some of those principles because we're not thinking that this Zoom call, say, of people that even look and sound like us might be very different in terms of how they're experiencing this interaction. So I hope that's something that, that everybody can take to whatever their work. And, and, and I'm interested to, you know, to see how that, uh, that changes your perceptions if you do that. Well, thank you. And, and I had a great principal once who, who spent quite a bit of time teaching us as a faculty how different we were and how to appreciate one another's differences. And it's not, you know, to the degree of neurodiversity and, and really, you know, making sure you're including in that way. But one of the things that she talked about was the idea that extroverts outnumber introverts three to one. I am not the most extroverted person in the world, but I'm definitely an extrovert. And it taught me that I need to shut up and listen sometimes because that introvert has something to say if you'll just be quiet long enough for them to put their ideas in. And it is kind of the same way, uh, you know, just provide enough time to hear those ideas. You might be missing an amazing solution to a problem because you haven't shut up long enough for them to to say so and thank you so much and we have listeners all over the world as well and uh and we know that a lot of them are not necessarily in education they might be someone who has his neurodivergent or has a family member or we have parent so i know people are going to take away from this as much as sissy and i have and thanks again ed for being here you're awesome yes thank you and i hope that anyone who is in a position to hire others or um prepare people who are hiring others, those out and buy your book to help them, you know, do a good job. <laughs> a Hidden Force by Ed Thompson. Thanks again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sissy, I could talk to him all day. He was so good. He really was. I mean, like you said, his accent is fun to listen to, but um, he had really, and you know, so many nuggets of wisdom to share with us. I probably use that phrase way too often. But we have, we've been lucky enough to talk to a lot of very bright people who have come along with very cool ideas. And um, that's how I feel about it. Um, uh, he, it was great. I, I, I agree. I was talking to a friend who most of you probably know who that is. But I was talking to my friend Barshi a couple of weekends ago and we talked about this and I was you know, telling him to look into diversity, equity, inclusion departments. And I think I asked Ed, you know, in the conversation, if he had any advice for people about, you know, interviewing and getting jobs. And one of the things that he said that I thought was really important is that it's up to you whether or not you want to disclose that you have a disability or a condition. But it is nice if you do disclose because that increases the likelihood that you'll have accommodations, you know, and if you don't disclose, they don't know. And it's also important not only to disclose, but also to have really high expectations of the company. You know, if you disclose, then you are entitled to 
accommodations under the ADA. And also, you know, one of the things he said too, that, you know, maybe a lot of employers might look upon disclosure as a huge strength because that shows that you're able to self-advocate and self-advocacy is a really big thing in the whole DEI push. So Hopefully you guys learned some things from this. We do have a question. Bring it on. So Mr. Thompson talked about how disclosing does lead to accommodations. And we did a little bit of research on some common accommodations in the workplace for people who are neurodiverse. So again, it's going to be one of those, which one is not. So which of these is not a common accommodation? In the workplace, A, noise canceling headphones or other sensory accommodations, B, being late because of your executive functioning difficulties, C, uninterrupted work time, or D, a flexible schedule. Very interesting. So I'll start at the bottom and thinking of the flexible schedule. I think some people might go, why should they have a flexible schedule? Well, As long as the company and they have agreed on what that flexible schedule is going to look like, they're not asking to work less time and get paid the same amount. They're talking about having a flexible schedule. Noise-canceling headphones can certainly be something that might be an expectation. Oh, dear. Remind me of the other two. Um, I don't have them in mind. Being late because of executive functioning difficulties and uninterrupted work time. And But before you go to those two, you know, somebody was telling me not too long ago that they were, they knew someone whose employer actually had a sensory room that anybody could access, which I thought is so cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think of the other two that I haven't mentioned yet, I would uninterrupted work time seems reasonable that you might be able to put a little sign right outside your office or on your cubicle that says, you know, if you have a question for me, come back at whatever time it is so that, you know, because people can get lost and then not get any of their work done because they're chasing all these little rabbits that come through. You know, a lot of us are very social and we can socialize for, you know, 20 seconds and then get right back to the task. But some people who are neurodiverse cannot. But being late because of your executive functioning, I would think is a no-go. That's not a good reason to, your accommodation would be maybe two sets of alarms or, you know, three sets of alarms, your accommodations would start at home to help you. I mean, there are things you can do. Yes, that's an executive. I lie to myself. I lie to myself about what time I need to leave in the morning. So that I do. If I need to leave by eight, I say to myself, you need to be out here by 745 because then I have a cushion. And most often I'm ready by 745, but that's a piece of how I deal with, you know, what I know about myself in terms of executive functioning, which is, you know, I probably do have a little bit of ADHD. It probably really is that piece is I get lost in thought and um, then look up and go, oh, dear, you need to get going. So, yeah, no, being late, you don't get to say, oh, I have executive functioning disorders. 
I won't be in until, well, probably whenever I get in. That's yeah, not going to work. It was. I could use that all the time. But, um, <laughs> you know, but if you do have those issues, maybe a flexible schedule would be a better accommodation, right? So that, that would be something. Yeah, exactly. Like you, said, yeah. Working, you know, the same amount of time. But anyway, well, you guys, we hope you listened. We hope you liked it. And we hope you have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.